Welcome to It Depends, a sales tax podcast by Tax Connects. I'm your host, Brian Greer, joined by my colleague, Jeff Meggs, and we're super excited that you've joined us today. Sales and use tax can be confusing and overwhelming, but it doesn't have to be. Whether you work in an industry or a CPA firm, or just someone who wants to stay informed about the latest sales tax laws, we've got you covered. Periodically, we'll explore different aspects of sales tax. So whether you're a tax pro or a novice, in industry, school, or a practicing CPA, tune in and join us as we attempt to simplify the complexity of the sales tax world. This is It Depends, because with sales tax, there's rarely just one answer. And often that's our answer to many questions. It just depends. Glad that you're with us for the today's tax talk. One's going to be covering uh, drop shipments, usually uh, an area that we get quite a few questions on. So um, I'll just give you kind of a quick perspective and overview of Tax Connects if you're not familiar with our business. Um, we are based uh, just outside of Atlanta. Uh, we're a professional services firm focused really exclusively in the sales tax arena. Um, there's really two different practice areas in our in our firm here and. And one is our consulting advisory practice. Uh, Jeff heads that up for us. And we help companies really sort through and figure out, you know, what should they be doing from a sales tax perspective? Uh, Where do they have nexus? Where do they have taxable sales? Uh, We do a good bit of voluntary disclosure work, um, audit support, um, a lot of different things related to sales and use tax. um, But they kind of fit into those primary buckets of nexus taxability, VDAs, and audit support. The second practice area is a compliance outsourcing service. Uh, So for a lot of our clients that have a multi-state sales tax uh, collection and remittance obligation, um, we act as their outsourced sales tax department and register them in the appropriate jurisdictions, prepare and file their returns, manage the payments to the jurisdictions, just try to remove that uh, administrative burden from them. So with that as a, a backdrop, I'll, uh, I'll turn this over to Jeff. Um, he'll kind of give you a quick um, overview of the agenda and then we'll get going. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, I think um, drop shipments, as Brian said, is, is probably the, one of the more complicated and sort of mind-wrenching categories or areas within sales tax. Um, you know, I'm sure if you've dealt with that issue, either on the purchaser side or on the vendor side, you've found it to be a little bit confusing at times. And the reason that is, is because the states like to make it a little confusing. Um, however, what I would say about drop shipments overall is that there are some opportunities in this area. Um, so we'll talk about, about those as we proceed. The first thing we're going to cover is just a broad um, discussion about Nexus, just to kind of refresh everybody and restate sort of the known Nexus criteria around sales and use tax. Then we'll talk about exemptions and exclusions. Um, You might not have heard exclusions very often. Uh, We tend to use the term exemptions in the sales and use tax world most often, Uh, but there is a difference between the two. We'll talk about that. And ultimately, we're here to talk about drop shipments. So we're going to give you a couple of examples 
of drop shipments, kind of how the transactions work, how the sales tax exemption process works within that drop shipment process. So sales and use tax nexus, the term nexus just really means a connection. Uh, in the case of sales and use taxes, it, it represents sort of the threshold by which a state or local jurisdiction can impose its taxing authority on a taxpayer. So until you have nexus, you really have generally nothing to worry about when it comes to sales and use taxes. And, and this discussion and this topic is fairly straightforward when we're talking about basic sales transactions. Uh, when we get into job shipments, nexus becomes a different kind of animal. And um, you'll see why as we, we get into the later slides. But from the standpoint of what triggers nexus, there are kind of two concepts. One concept being physical presence. Uh, this is sort of the longstanding uh, standard for nexus for sales tax purposes. And it's been around for 55 years plus probably um, in terms of our understanding. And it, it basically entails anything in the way of a physical presence. It could be an office. It could be an employee that either resides in the state or travels into the state. Could be the visiting or engaging in trade shows um, or merely having inventory located in the state. And uh, the inventory category is a little tricky just because sometimes we're not always in control of our inventory as it stands with uh, companies like Amazon out there who move inventories around. Um, Another physical presence standard would be engaging third parties to perform services on your behalf. Uh, it's kind of a tricky area. Uh, but physical standards have existed, like I said, for quite a long time. Uh, about four years ago, the introduction of an economic standard became sort of a, a, a legislated matter across the states. And um, this started when South Dakota legislated an economic nexus standard uh, they basically said if you had more than $100,000 in revenue in the state or more than 200 transactions in a given 12-month period, you establish nexus for sales and use tax purposes. Um, this went through the court system. It was challenged by Wayfair, Wayfair being an online uh, household goods seller. And ultimately, the state of South Dakota, interestingly enough, at the state level, uh, ruled in favor of Wayfair and said it was unconstitutional. Uh, however, the state took it to the U.S. Supreme Court and and there from a slim margin of five to four, I believe, the state won. And as soon as the Supreme Court ruled favorably for South Dakota, virtually every state came to their own conclusions that they needed an economic nexus standard. So all 45 states plus D.C., uh, these are the states that have a state level sales tax um, they have all instituted or legislated an economic nexus standard or principle. Um, Missouri is a little unique in that it doesn't go live until January 1, 2023, but it's, it's on the horizon, obviously. And um, as I said, 45 states that impose a sales tax, there are five states that don't have a state-level sales tax, those being Oregon, Montana, New Hampshire, Delaware, and Alaska. Alaska is a little bit unique uh, in that there are some city level taxes administered by those cities located in Alaska. And interestingly enough, those cities have 
come together to form a coalition and establish their own economic nexus standard. Um, so in any case, just wanted to kind of illustrate sort of the nexus requirements and nexus standards as they exist today across all the states. The next topic I wanted to talk about, and again, these are all kind of stepping stones to get us to the discussion around drop shipments is the terms exclusions versus exemptions. As I said earlier, most of us just use the term exemption for everything that's not taxable in the sales and use tax arena. However, it is important to understand that there is a distinction between the two. Exclusions are basically items or activities or products or services that are never referenced legislatively. In other words, most of the state's legislation surrounds tangible personal property and enumerated services when it comes to sales taxability. Uh, professional services are commonly not subject to sales tax. And it's not that the statutes state that they're exempt, they're just absent any taxable inclusions for those types of activities. So our services, for example, in Georgia, uh, our consulting services and our compliance services are excluded from sales tax in Georgia. We don't have to charge tax on those services and there's no exemption form. There's no documentation required between the vendor and the customer to substantiate that those services are not taxable. The area that gets tricky is when we talk about exemptions. And as I said earlier, generally the statutes outline that the sale of tangible personal property and enumerated services are subject to tax. And as a result, until you can prove otherwise, the vendor who has nexus in that state has a requirement to charge tax on sales of tangible personal property. Only in the event that they receive some type of formal documentation from the customer can they exempt that transaction from that sales tax. Uh, so the more common exemption that we experience is sales for resale. So anytime you're selling to a major retailer, uh, they're going to be able to issue a resale exemption certificate. Uh, those are exempt transactions. Uh, there's industry exemptions in the form of manufacturers. Manufacturers generally, in a lot of states, can buy their equipment and their machinery exempt from tax. And virtually in all states, they can buy their raw materials exempt from tax. And finally, there's some statutory exemptions. And, and what we're referring to here is government agencies or um, public schools. Um, there's, there's a number of scenarios like that, uh, nonprofit organizations that receive some level of exempt status by statute. Um, but in these categories, we're expected to provide documentation to substantiate the exemption. As we look at exemption certificates and documentation, um, there really are a few key items that we like to see in every exemption certificate. Uh, these are the items. Uh, we, we'd like to see the registration or the account number. This is the sales tax number that's been issued by the state uh, for purposes of sales tax. This is not the federal ID number, generally speaking. Um, we want to see the customer's name on the form and the seller or the vendor's name on the form. Um, 
And then the nature of the exemption. What's the purpose of this form? What's the purpose of this request for exempt status, whether it's resale, manufacturing, uh, or nonprofit, something like that? And lastly, and not the least of importance, is you got to have a customer signature and it needs to be dated. Uh, a lot of times we'll get questions from clients. What if I don't get the certificate until a year after the transaction? Most of the states are flexible. Um, usually under audit, for example, if you're missing some exemption certificates, the states will give you an opportunity to go back and recover and get the certificates in place, even though they're dated currently and should have been dated previously. Um, but you want to be cautious. Don't, don't assume you're always going to get that level of treatment. And so it's very important to have the exemption certificate dated on or before the date of the transaction or the date of the invoice. So let, let's get into the meat of what we're here to talk about today, drop shipments. Um, I think it's important to see a picture uh, and, and it's hard to uh, articulate what a drop shipment is without a picture, in my opinion. It, it's just a little bit complicated, but what, what we're typically dealing with are um, three parties in a drop shipment transaction. And in some, t in some cases, in the illustration we provided here, there's actually three parties in three different states involved in this transaction. And so what, what tends to happen is that we have a retailer, someone that is providing, selling tangible personal property to a customer. But the retailer in these examples doesn't generally maintain an inventory. They're not necessarily the producer of the product. They're simply a mechanism, a storefront or a, an online store and typically is in, in these cases, whereby customers can come and shop, purchase and have delivered to their home tangible personal property. So the typical transaction involves a customer. In this example, we're gonna say the customer's based in Illinois. They're going to put an order in to a retailer, in this case, the retailer located in South Carolina for tangible personal property. The retailer in turn is gonna go out to a distributor. In this particular example, the distributor is gonna be based in Arkansas and they're gonna ask that distributor to ship tangible personal property directly to the customer in Illinois. And that's the drop shipment transaction. Now in this case, the Arkansas distributor has nexus in Illinois. They either had a physical presence or they've got economic nexus thresholds that they've reached. And as a result, the distributor is obligated to comply with the Illinois sales tax laws and either charge tax because it is a sale of tangible personal property where the shipment is directed towards Illinois or obtain an adequate exemption certificate. And in this transaction, this is a resale transaction. In essence, the sales tax is really intended to be uh, paid or encumbered by the customer, the end user consumer. Uh, so we, we like to see the retailer in a position where they can exempt themselves from the sales tax application. In this particular case, our South Carolina retailer does not have nexus in Illinois, doesn't have a responsibility to comply with the Illinois sales and use tax laws. And as a result, they're not registered in Illinois for sales and use tax purposes. So when the distributor, distributor comes to this retailer and says, I've got to charge you tax unless you issue a resale certificate, the South Carolina 
retailer says, I don't have an Illinois resale exemption certificate. Distributor says, tough luck. I've got to charge tax. And unless you give me an Illinois exemption certificate, uh, you're going to pay tax on this transaction. Um, so as a result, the South Carolina vendor or retailer in this instance is going to incur this sales tax unless they go ahead and register for sales tax purposes in Illinois so that they can issue a, an Illinois resale certificate. And it's just going to eat into their margin at whatever that applicable, applicable rate is. Let's just say it's 7%. Um, so if their profit margin was 10% on this deal, they just lost 7% of it through this sales tax application. So this is the, the typical sort of structure of a drop shipment transaction. Um, we get a lot of questions from both the retailers and the distributors. And the next example and the next illustration we're going to show you is why those questions are not always easy to answer. In that first example, Illinois requires you to be registered in any scenario where you're making a sale for resale or a purchase for resale to be able to issue a properly executed exemption certificate. So you have to have that Illinois sales tax registration number. In scenario two, we're just going to change one little aspect. We're going to still have a South Carolina retailer. It's the same transaction with a distributor located in, in Arkansas. But in this case, the customer places the order from Utah, and that's where the order is going to be shipped by the distributor. Unlike the Illinois example, Utah actually respects a South Carolina retailer's use of their home state retail exemption certificate. And what, what the distributor in Arkansas can accept is either a valid Utah resale exemption certificate or a valid South Carolina resale exemption certificate. And this is just basically due to the state of Utah and their administrative policy that says, if the retailer does not have sufficient nexus with our state, we are still going to respect the fact that they are not the end user consumer and they are not going to incur the sales tax liability. And ultimately in this particular transaction, the customer has a use tax responsibility. They actually have a responsibility to accrue and remit use tax directly to the state of Utah in this transaction. The distributor in Arkansas can comfortably accept that South Carolina resale exemption certificate and, and exclude tax from this invoice to that uh, South Carolina retailer. So in this particular scenario, it might be quite easy and evident once we talk through it like we have as to what the documentation requirement is. But when you take this sort of complexity and extrapolated over 50 states or 45 states plus DC, you can imagine with every state having just a little bit of a different rule and a different nuance, how difficult it is for a distributor to really understand what their responsibility is. And they hold really all the risk in these transactions because they're the ones that have nexus in Utah in this example or in Illinois. They have the obligation to charge the tax or to obtain the appropriate documentation. So um, it's complicated. It's not easy to find the answers to all the states in this regard. Um, there are ways to kind of accumulate those answers. We sort of have some experience with each, with each of the states and can help and advise in that regard. 
Um, but it's a challenge and it's a challenge for the retailers. They don't know when they have to be registered or when they can use their own home state registration number. So it's equally confusing for them as well. Hey Jeff, a couple of just comments and thoughts on this as well. And I think what we've seen happen quite a bit over the last 18 months is um, that distributor starting to reject the resale exemption certificates from the retailer and or be a lot more forceful in requiring those resale exemption certificates. I think primarily because the distributors have likely been audited. Um, you know, they've surpassed the economic nexus threshold. The distributor has been audited. And now the distributor learns that, oh, we don't have a physical presence in Illinois, but we're supposed to be charging Illinois sales tax. And now all of a sudden that retailer may have been working with the same distributor for 10 years, never had a sales tax on an Illinois transaction, and now all of a sudden they're surprised. Um, so we're seeing that happen quite a bit. The The other thought I had, and, and I'll um, hopefully this, this potentially simplifies this because it's it is a confusing um, scenario in terms of not just scenario two, but in general, this this whole concept fairly confusing. What what I think helps, at least for me to think about this and break it down, is to look at this as really two separate transactions. It feels like one. You know, it feels like there's an order from the customer um, to the retailer and the retailer shipping product to the customer. It feels like one transaction, but if you think about this as two separate transactions, at least for me, that helps. And, and what I mean by that is the retailer is making that sale to Utah, so the retailer, that transaction, do they have Nexus in Utah? Yes or no, that dictates whether they should be charging sales tax. Similarly, now the distributor has a separate transaction where the retailer is ordered from the distributor and, and they're shipping into to Utah. So there's really two completely separate transactions that are happening happening here, each with a nexus and taxability question associated with it. Um, that may have been just restating exactly what you just said, but I, I like to think about it in two separate transactions and it kind of helps me uh, work through it. No, it, it is uh, helpful to look at it that way, that's for sure. Um, and and, and in, in these examples, by the way, we, we assume that these transactions, again, were tangible personal property and were taxable in the destination state. Um, just to highlight for you, you know, the, the exemption certificate concept um, sometimes is easier to talk about than manage. Uh, and the reason it is, a little bit complicated to manage is not just because of these drop shipment special rules, but also because there's virtually an infinite number of ways an exemption certificate might be presented to a vendor. Um, what we've done here is just highlighted for you some of the primary uh, scenarios in the way of form types for exemption certificates. The one that we like to use and we see commonly used comes from the uh, you can find this on the Multi-State tax, multi tax Commission's website, MTC's website, and it's the Uniform Sales and Use Tax Certificate Multi-Jurisdictional. Um, this covers, as you can see, a number of states, but not all of the states. 
And there are some special rules. There's about three pages of footnotes that accompany this particular certificate. Uh, but it really serves to be a, a go-to for companies that are operating in a multi-state environment. They have one vendor who's shipping for them in multiple states. They can go to this form and knock out the vast majority of their resale exemption certificate forms and requirements with it. There's also a streamlined sales tax form. Uh, these, this is typically used within those states that participate in the SSTP, uh, the Streamlined Sales Tax Program. I think there's about 24 states that either participate or uh, at least watch the SSTP program from afar and, and participate in the Streamlined Sales Tax form as well. Um, almost all of the states have state-specific resale certificates. These are blank templates that the customer can fill in their information, uh, those sort of bits of information we talked about earlier, the customer name, vendor name, registration number, signature, reason for exemption. Most of the states have some kind of template that can be used for that. Similarly, if it's a manufacturer's type exemption, instead of a resale, it might be a different form. And a lot of the states have different forms for whether it be manufacturing equipment or raw materials, and that there's a differentiation between the two. Um, nonprofit certificates, like a state of Illinois will actually issue a formal document that uh, provides for exempt treatment for a nonprofit. I think they are they exist for five year periods of time, uh, and it's just a form that doesn't have a signature on it uh, that just needs to be forwarded to to the vendors by the nonprofit customers. State issued exemption certificates. There's a few states that do this. Washington, Florida, for example. Florida has an annual certificate that expires on the 31st of every year. Um, if you're registered for sales tax purposes, you have ability to issue that certificate to your to your vendors. Washington has something similar. I think the Washington one expires every five years. And, and lastly, client-created exemption certificates. And this is why I said there's almost an infinite number of certificate possibilities because many of the states, if it has those criteria, those five criteria that we outlined earlier in the presentation, and I believe we're gonna give everybody copies of this presentation after the call today, but if it has those components, a lot of states will allow you to create your own custom form. It essentially serves as an affidavit with the signature and date that says, I am indeed registered, I have the authority to issue this exemption certificate for sales tax purposes, and I intend to resell this product uh, and charge and collect tax as appropriate. So um, just some highlights for you of, of some of the certificates you might find or see. Thanks, everyone. This has been It Depends with another episode explaining the complexities surrounding sales and use tax. We'll see you next time.